the incomparable. Number 241. April 2015. Play ball. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. It is time for another episode of Old Movie Club. Old Movie Club. Old Movie Club is where we watch uh, an old movie, and then or two, or three, or five, and then we talk about them. And to celebrate baseball's opening week, uh, we have picked two baseball movies. So let me introduce my panelists, David Lore. Hello. Hello. Monty Ashley, thanks for being here. Hello. Erica Ensign, batter up. I know how much you love somebody who loves baseball. <laughs> I, am, I am just excited to be here when we're talking about a movie that, that was made in my preferred era of movie making. So I'm thrilled. That's true. That's true. Well, yeah. well said. Steve Lutz, uh, who voices the old movie club theme song. Hello. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Play ball, Jason. Play voices ball. is the term you use. <laughs> and here, as always, the man who picks the old movies on Old Movie Club. The old man who picks the old movies on Old Movie Club. It's Philip Michaels. Hello. Thank you. I feel like I never left. Indeed. Uh, so what did you what do you have for us? Explain yourself. So so as you mentioned, um, it's it's baseball season at some point um, mm-hmm. soon. When or people na- listen to this, it is, about, it is the opening week, we'll yes. say. Yeah. Baseball season is about to start or just started, depending on when you are listening or started a long time ago. If you listen to this late, some teams are probably playing in Japan for some reason right now. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> so uh, it, it got me thinking, hey, there's been a lot of movies made about baseball over the years. Some of them uh, not so good. Some of them OK. Some of them I, I kind of enjoy. And uh, and uh, I, I picked a couple tonight. One uh one a controversial pick uh, under the under the definition of old movie, which we can get to later. But the other, um, a, a bit of a, a, a classic in terms of uh, in terms of when it was made and uh, uh, the approach that the filmmaker took. We, we're going to look at Pride of the Yankees from a 19- controversial pick under the definition of movie. Well, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> we can get to that later. Nineteen forty two's Pride of the Yankees <laughs> and nineteen seventy sixes. The Bad News Bears. Let, let's start off with Pride of the Yankees. All age, right. <sighs> age, age before beauty. <laughs> I have lots of notes ah, about that hooray. one. Okay. I do too. I wrote some things down. Well, let me, um, uh, I will quickly go through the plot since basically it is the biopic of Lou Gehrig. Uh, perhaps the greatest first baseman to ever ever play the the grand game uh and as I think Jason pointed out in uh, in uh, his Twitter tonight. It is the 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 life of Luke Gehrig in real time yeah. because I <laughs> I don't remember the movie being this slow. I don't remember, but oh. it it goes on for a, a, a shade over two hours, yeah. and and it feels like two hours. I didn't think so. Oh, <laughs> oh well, you'll get a chance to to rebut our cruel arguments <sighs> later. Um, uh, let me quickly just go through the plot because there's, there's not a lot of twists and turns here. Lou Gehrig is born. Lou Gehrig is born. Lou Gehrig grows up playing baseball. Lou Gehrig goes to Columbia. He's really good at sports. He signs with the Yankees. The Yankees are a really good baseball team, and largely because of Lou Gehrig, he has a little bit of a uh, friendly rivalry with Babe Ruth, who plays himself in the movie. Uh, Lou Gehrig meets a, a nice girl, the the lovely Teresa Wright, one of my favorite oh. actresses. 
Blue Gehrig wins many, many, many awards. He has a newspaper man who is his best friend and who never leaves his side. And uh, <laughs> which we, I'm sure we will talk about good old Walter Brennan, who plays uh, said newspaper man. Uh, but then Lou Gehrig uh, gets gets sick. You might have heard of it. Lou Gehrig's disease. What are the odds? And he uh, he uh, uh, the movie ends with him. Spoiler uh, being, alert. Yeah. Lou Gehrig he, dies at the end. No, no he, he doesn't. doesn't. Die. He, doesn't. he walks. He walks off the set. Walks and, off the field. And actually, really, the, maybe you haven't. If if you haven't seen Lou Gehrig, the the pride of the Yankees, you you've probably seen the ending of the movie. Yes, because mm-hmm. the, this gets shown a lot, and for good reason. It's the best part of the movie. Hmm. It's the most, uh, I think, the most emotionally resonant part. But I'm sure yeah. we will get to that later. One of the reasons. Uh, uh, I, let me back up for a second. Um, th- this is a, a, a genre of movie that was very popular in um, uh, the 1930s, 1940s, and a little bit into the 1950s, the, the baseball hero biopic. And um, generally speaking, they're not great movies. They're kind of all cut from the same cloth where it's the work hard and eat your vegetables, Jimmy, and you can grow up to be like me. Uh, well, <laughs> one of the ones that really stands out for me as just an example of how um, – mediocre and middling these are is a movie called the winning team which stars um a fellow by the name of ronald reagan who um went on to other things yeah no never heard of him and went on to act with a chimp yes but enough about george bush oh as great an actor as he was a president but um he uh, plays uh pete alexander in this movie who was a, a bit of a notorious drunkard and um, that that aspect of um, it, it's touched on briefly, as I recall, it's been years since I've seen this picture, but not in not in to the extent that Pete Alexander actually was a, a, a very um, a, a very severe alcoholic. And instead, it's Ronald Reagan and Doris Day and it's keep trying, Pete Alexander, you'll get there soon. And it it it. it it's not a very good movie. There are a bunch of others that we could mention that are not very good movies. Pride of the Yankees, I think, is okay. Um, and I think it's largely okay based on the performances of Gary Cooper and, and Teresa Wright, which is why I kind of picked it. I think it's a good example of the best you can kind of uh, hope for in a in a, a pre-1950s baseball movie where um, this will certainly be the most earnest movie we ever pick for, for old movie club. There is no winks or nods to the audience, no hints at the darkness that lurks in every man's heart. Um, th- this is just a straightforward, old-fashioned, let's put on a show and, and, and make the people uh, – uh, uh, leave with a, maybe a tear in their eye, but also a, a song in their heart about uh, about what a great guy Lou Gehrig was, and it, it's enjoyable. Um, it would have been more enjoyable if it were better paced, I think. But uh, Phil, Phil, the word you're looking for is hagiography. This is yes. a, an elevation unto godhood of the great Lou Gehrig, and yes. how awesome he was in all of the way in every aspect of life. Yes. Well, I think a lot of the reason for that can be explained by the fact that this was. 1942. Mm-hmm. He had just died. And as you read, the, he had died like by a year previous? A year, a year before, a year and a month. In yep. fact, one of the yep. baseball players that, um, you know, the, the live baseball players that they pulled in to be actors in this film was still active at the time, right? Bill Dickey, right? Bill Dickey, yeah. Yeah, also a Hall of Fame baseball player. But, but yeah, but the fact that it's 1942, and if you read the opening scroll, it reads like, hey, hey young soldiers off to war, die with dignity like Lou Gehrig. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, the, one of the rare films that is that is that begins with a crawl written by 
a writer, just not connected with the, the story in any way. Damon Runyon was a, a sports writer yep. and a, a big, uh, big baseball guy. And uh, that that is the most un-Damon Runyon thing ever written. He uh, He's the yeah. author oh, yeah. whose uh, stories yeah. were turned into guys and dolls, uh, basically. Uh, and and he, uh, you know, he had, there's a streak of cynicism in his work that is not evident in that crawl at the no. beginning of the movie. <laughs> well, in this world, cynicism does not even exist. No. Oh, no. Right. Well, yes, it does in the form of the evil, uh, the evil reporter who uh, Walter <laughs> Brennan actually throttles at one point in the yes. movie, uh, who's apparently a stand-in for Ford Frick, who became the commissioner of baseball. But that's another huh. story. What's so uh, altogether? Um, a, a confession: I also picked this movie because it features two characters who are just, I think, monstrous, and uh, I, I really wanted to. Uh, I'll be honest. This 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 one was for you, Steve. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you. I think, Phil. The Walter Brennan character, who um, is uh, based on a real sports writer named Fred Lieb, and um, he's a composite here, but it's, it's mostly Fred Lieb, who was very good friends with Lou Gehrig. And in this movie, as I said, never leaves Lou Gehrig's side. Nope. Lou Gehrig is on the beach <laughs> canoodling with his wife, oh, and, yeah. and Walter Brennan pops into the picture. Hey, Lou, how you doing? <laughs> he's like their couples therapist, too. Yeah. Can you imagine a baseball player today going to the doctor to get his results and voluntarily bringing a report? into the room (laughs) keep it out of the papers okay yes oh i will the reporter doing the oh we're gonna we're gonna cover this up no one's gonna find out the truth here and but yeah so so there's the walter brennan character and then the other uh great monster of history that is featured in this movie is mama garrig oh yes oh man yeah she was the only way to put any drama into the movie before the end so they just made her the worst person in the world (laughs) Yeah, I, I have a I have a phrase since since uh, we're sort of hopping around here. I want my notes about uh, about Mrs. Gehrig. Uh, what she has a great line where there is that s- series of scenes where she goes. Sh- it's shopping with Mrs. Gehrig, which is not a thing you want to do. And Yo. then it's home improvement with Mrs. Gehrig. <laughs> and at one point, uh, as they're putting up the wallpaper that she's just bought separately from what everybody else expressed as the wallpaper that they wanted in her son and his new wife's bedroom. She says, oh, this is much better. This is more practical wallpaper. That made me laugh out loud. (laughs) It's a more practical (laughs) wallpaper pattern. Okay. Well, you don't want that M.C. Escher wallpaper or that wallpaper that puts in non-Euclidean angles and drives men mad. It's impractical. The the Escher wallpaper, you might accidentally walk out the window or try to yeah. open the door yeah. to get a breeze, or you know. Yeah, Ma Gehrig is a yeah. yeah she's she's problematic. She's, she is the she is the <laughs> yeah. silent villain of this movie in in many aspects. You know, they try and make a heel out of the out of the snide, cynical reporter who's Babe Ruth's uh, best buddy and mm-hmm. who uh, mocks Lou Gehrig at every turn until, of course, Lou Gehrig is 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 is, uh, is sick and old. But there's uh, a seltzer fight at one point. There 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 is a uh, there is a seltzer fight yes but it, if you ask me i i i really think mama garrig is this movie's true monster <laughs> i can't get mad at the bad reporter because if you had your choice to follow lou garrig around and get every story he feeds you or follow babe ruth around mm. and get every story he feeds you you're gonna get a lot more material out of babe ruth i don't know ruth yeah, is yeah. uh ruth stuff is unprintable <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can do that thing about how he ate 15 hot dogs between innings That's or true. something. That's true. Like, based on the evidence of this movie, Lou Gehrig never did anything. 
No, well, he, he went to he college. He won a lot of awards and he, went well, to college. He played baseball. Yeah, he was a great baseball player, but you don't need a scoop to do to find that out. And he beat up a guy in his fraternity. There was that. Yeah, by yes. di- by flying across Ooh, the table. Controversy. And he was the apparently the oldest freshman at Columbia right. University. Here, so okay, in okay, you just brought up several things that I want to yeah. talk about. One <laughs> one of them is is the the uh, challenge of um of portraying a life that is fine. <laughs> which which yes. again again I I like the, the so the relationship his his marriage um is nice and they have a good they never let the honeymoon end right they say that at one point and at one point in my notes I say Lou and his wife sure do have fun they wrestle with flowers and stuff <laughs> <laughs> And wow, does that wacky rose throwing fight seem forced? Oh, oh man, right, it comes off like that snowball fight in Groundhog Day to me. It's a challenge. I mean, again, you don't have to have. I mean, most most marriages do not have movie level drama, but they don't try to make movies out of those marriages. And this one, there's a movie, and they're just every time we see them, it's like, oh, they're nice, it's fine. That's why a Mama Garrig, I think, is such a monster, is because they got to do something to complicate. Their yep. their domestic life, and it is the monstrous mother in law who gets. To I didn't do it. actually like. I didn't. I didn't actually. Li- I mean, I love Teresa Wright, but I didn't like that character very much at all at the beginning because oh, ten, you got you know Tanglefoot, Tanglefoot, Tanglefoot. Yeah, he, well, not not that. I mean, that's just big deal. But Lou Gehrig is this. He's just kind of a big, sweet, dumb dope, and she at every turn is making fun of him and teasing him in kind of a not very nice way at the beginning. She kind of gets over it a little bit, but I don't know. It seems like she does, and then later she does it to Walter Brennan too tries to make him think that that Lou's cheating on her <laughs> as like, well you yeah. like, should what? make she fun of Walter her, Brennan she, she gets her kicks from some some uh, some twisted stuff Dark I places. think I, I don't like this girl well, you know if that dude was hanging around your house and your and your beach trips all the time you probably would do something yeah. similar yeah. just for he kicks. should know better than to think ill of St. Lou yes, does he know what movie he's in for pizza so I mean, so I think that's a problem. I think there's a challenge here, just that Lou Gehrig is a nice fellow and has a has a good marriage, and his his downfall is not because this doesn't follow drama arc; it follows life arc. His 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 downfall is that he gets a terrible disease and dies. Yeah, the general structure of the movie is weird for me because. For most of the movie, nothing bad happens to Lou. Yeah. He's born, he's a great baseball player, gets to go to college, gets to be on the Yankees, wins a whole bunch of championships, wins a bunch of betting titles, because he is the best first baseman to ever play the game, has a great marriage, so you're thinking, nothing bad ever happens to this guy. Then the worst possible thing happens to this guy, and the movie's over. I, I think if you were going to remake this movie um the the subject matter of the lou gehrig story is his ending and and that's why i think the the ending of the movie is probably what works best for me although i i i find Teresa wright charming in this movie so the i didn't have quite the problem with their their relationship that you guys are having but obviously the last 15 minutes of the movie is is what should have been your movie uh Mm -hmm. yes and the real the real problem with that is is the ratio because this is a two-hour, eight-minute movie. Yep. And 15 <laughs> minutes of that is sad. Lou Gehrig is dying. And the rest of it is all stuff happens to Lou Gehrig. But nothing bad ever happens to Lou Gehrig. It's the human drama part of it, too. Because wh- when he gets diagnosed, there there is that scene, which, yeah, it's hokey. But it, it hints at the, the true human story here, which is, you know, is it three strikes, Doc? All of that. I never argued oh. with an umpire. <laughs> um, that... that 
and and don't tell my wife she mustn't know and then she's like i knew it the moment i came in and she cries and oh that's good but then we go we switch from that to the um the day of the farewell which is again in, uh, basically in real time it has all the drama of a pregame ceremony at a baseball game which is to say none <laughs> oh, no. are are you are you saying that you weren't impressed that the postmaster general was brought to say <laughs> the radio the radio announcer describing what's happening like it's a horse race and now the postmaster general is coming he's shaking his hand now he moves away all of that i mean his speech is good but 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 in the gap there is what this movie or or at least if you were telling the story today how you would tell it which is it is this human tragedy of this person who is the best has had a good life and is the best at what he does and now has gotten this terrible disease and is struck down in his physical prime exactly yeah and instead it's just sort of like oh i got a bad break and then and then he falls off of a chair and is suddenly a terrible player and um and then he says i quit and gives us gives a heart-rending speech and walks out and that's the end of the movie and you're missing you know, I think I, there's only the hint of the human drama that happened behind the scenes, which I understand for a movie that was made in 1942 and was made right mm-hmm. after his death. It's just now looking at it, you think you missed you missed the most important part or or if you didn't miss it, you only showed us a glimmer of it at the very end of two hours. But even at yeah. the time, you'd think you can assume that people know how good Lou Gehrig is. Right. You don't need to spend an hour of the movie <laughs> showing his baseball career. Yeah. Well, there, there's also the the idea that, you know... If if we're making this now, if we're making a Lou Gehrig thing now, we're not having to cooperate with, with everyone who knew him. And the players. Yeah. And Whereas yes, back totally then, true. it's all, you know, oh, it's we a, can't do well, that. It's a we can't show right? that. Even yeah. if he w- and, Eleanor Gehrig was very involved in yeah. the uh, in signing off on this movie. And it yeah, and I mean, the, the, the doctor scene is pretty much the opposite of what really happened. You know, they, they sort of made it rosy for him uh, because his wife didn't want him to be depressed for for years and so it's like well you know you might need a cane for 10 to 15 years and you know it's going to be okay you know you'll fight it and and his final speech uh is yeah it's mostly paraphrasing and using the same things but in in real life he ended with uh you know i feel like the luckiest man in baseball uh you know uh but you know i have a lot left to live for Uh yeah which you couldn't really end it you know at that point you can't do that in the movie because well, we know. Yeah, I think it would have been more poignant, actually, if they had kept that line. And that was one of my if I have a criticism of 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 uh, of how they truncated that uh, speech, that would be it. That's because that's the that's the, the 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 dagger, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the manager's coming out of the dugout and it looks like he's going to be making a pitching change. He's going for the left hander. While we wait, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. It's Slack. Slack is a messaging platform for teams at work. I really love Slack. We use it all the time uh, for all my little podcast buddies, and it gives us a place to collaborate in a single location. All of us can talk there. We can share files. It is a lifeline for me. It puts all of uh, all of our disjointed communication tools, the emails that we're sending, instant messaging, Twitter, direct messages, public tweets, Skype, all of this stuff, it all kind of... Uh, coalesces into Slack and Slack becomes the place where we have all of our conversations. It's built around search for the ground up. This is so great. Every discussion, every decision, every document is archived and searching for it is easy. I I have used this so many times now to say, what was that thing that Mike Hurley told me 
three weeks ago, and I can search for it and find it in seconds. And Slack is integrated with all sorts of other web services. It is not out there on an island by itself. It works with Google Drive, Google Hangouts, Dropbox, Trello, GitHub, Stripe, MailChimp, and many more, plus their own API if you want to build your own integrations. More than half a million people and more than 60,000 teams are using Slack every day, including people such as me, but also, you know, the New York Times, eBay, Adobe, Airbnb, and the IceCube Neutrino Observatory at the South Pole. So when they say that it's on all the continents, they are not kidding. It is in Antarctica, too. They're all using Slack. Slack's mission to make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. And boy, it's working for me. It can work for you, too. Visit slack.com slash Snell. Create a new team. You can do that for free. And when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan, you get $100 in credit by going to slack.com slash Snell. Thank you so much to Slack for sponsoring The Incomparable. Uh, looks like the pitcher's warmed up. Let's get back to the game. I would like to make a specific criticism of this movie, which is that it does not need a musical interlude in the middle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, sure well, it does. It was made in the 1940s. Yeah, I know, uh, but... I, I defer to Erica here. Erica is quite correct. I had to I had to stop and, and explain this to Steven in the middle of the movie. He was like, what is going on? What are they doing? And I was like, honey, you see, this is 1942. It was just expected. Every film had this. And this was at the point where... The woman hadn't started singing yet. It was just dancing. And I, and I was like, you know, I said, you know, usually it's a, somebody singing a song in a club like this while the main characters are sitting at a table watching. But, you know, in some cases, it's a dance with a band. And then somebody started singing. And I was like, see, see, that's entertainment. That's, that's the hit song from Pride of the Yankees. I like it when a film noir suddenly has some hot jazz. But here, especially for a two hour movie seemed kind of irrelevant <laughs> well but casablanca even has a musical number but come on it was Veloz and yolanda there is nothing irrelevant about Veloz and yolanda yeah. <laughs> or ray there. noble and his orchestra as, as you know based on the fact that they are in the first set of title cards yes <laughs> strong they were, they were a pretty big deal in 1942 that was a good get it was <laughs> yeah that that was that was a b- bizarre scene but i was i was just like oh well you know it it's is the time. That's, that's yeah. what they do. Yeah, it's the variety show portion of the program. In the previous scene, we learned though another musical note. In the previous scene, when when they're at the carnival in Chicago, it turns out that all the calliopes in Chicago just play that toddle in town over and yeah. over <laughs> and over again to tell you that you're in Chicago yeah. at Frankly, a carnival. I, I think modern day movies yeah. would be better if they had a mandatory musical number hmm, like wedged in there for no reason. Like Imitation Game, the, there'd be a little song and dance. Well, that's and- that's <laughs> some movies do. Um, the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man has the inexplicable yeah. Macy Gray musical number in the middle of it before the Green Goblin <laughs> kills some people. I'm like, why is that in it? There's that rave scene in one of those Matrix sequels. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy every s- scene that uh, Babe Ruth was in. I mm-hmm. I think Babe Ruth is really great at playing Babe Ruth. I enjoyed him <laughs> yes. a lot. He really? seems very well cast. Method really. acting. He seemed to like being on screen. Yep. He does not come off very well in this movie, though. That's what I willingness. like about it. <laughs> but, but, but it's interesting, you know, if, if he shows up in the children's hospital room scene where, you know, little Billy is uh, is crippled and, you know, he's promising him a home run. And, you know, all the scenes with Babe Ruth is him. Oh, here's another picture. Get another picture, kid. And then he said, I'll get you a home run and walks out. And, and uh, it's amazing to me that he agreed to do that. The kid knows to get a better offer immediately, by the way. It's like, hey, yes. Lou, how about hitting two for me, babe? Said one. That kid's going to, who comes in next and he asks for three? I don't know. <laughs> that kid Somebody did his Cardinals. best to ruin the Yankees' chances, he by did. the way. <laughs> He did because he turned the entire thing into a home run hitting contest because as this movie portrays, baseball is nothing but a bunch of people trying to hit home runs. 
Well, mm-hmm. a- as you know from watching any baseball movie, taking an intentional walk is the height of stupidity. Yes, you got to swing at those balls, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. We'll and, and the radio later. announcers is like, he, can he get the second home run for that kid? It's the World Series. <laughs> the entire <laughs> season has led up to this, and the radio announcer is saying, Gehrig, I don't know, this could be a failure. He's only hit one home run in this World Series game. Can he hit a second home run for that kid? You see, Jason, back then they didn't understand the importance of on-base percentage. Yes, indeed. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I may interrupt with some baseball nerdery, mm. uh, baseballreference.com is the worst thing that ever existed for movies like this. Because <laughs> you can go look up the box scores <laughs> oh, I did of that games. Too. Yep. I did that too. And there oh, is a wow. game where Lou Gehrig hit two home runs against the Cardinals. But Babe Ruth didn't hit home but any Babe home Ruth runs But Babe didn't hit one at all. And they and lost was... that World Series. <laughs> no, no, they won that one, I think. <laughs> no, I think that's the one they lost in seven games. Oh, I thought this was the the, the, the one that they the no. I think this was the one they 29, swept. Twenty nine, twenty. Well, we're we're gonna. Oh have well, to that's it. This otherwise delightful film is now ruined, <laughs> guys. Nineteen forty two would prefer that you call them wallops. Uh, that's good, good point. Good point. I you know I may have I may be confusing my dates. I think this was one that they actually won, but uh, uh, regardless, as, as Steve Lutz says. Uh, obviously, this is the thing that that totally destroys Pride of the Yankees and renders it one of the worst movies in history. Call me a sap, but little Billy smiling in his hospital bed with tears dripping dripping down his face totally works on me. Oh, I don't. How about why. when he shows oh, up later to say, "Lou, it's me, Billy." See, I didn't like I didn't like little Billy because he looked like a tiny, freaky looking Steve Buscemi. I just couldn't get past that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a freaky looking Steve Buscemi, really? I, I will I will point out um, the Babe Ruth story starring William Bendix pulls a similar trick where Babe visits a kid in the mm-hmm. hospital and says, hit me a home run, Babe. And Babe, of course, does, does the called shot, right? In that movie. Yeah, That's right. I think so. I can't remember if it's that exact home run, but he hits the home run for the kid. And then years later, when Babe Ruth is dying of cancer, the kid turns out to be his oncologist. Oh wow! At the end of the movie, what are the chances? Of that? <laughs> and there's and there's sure. a choir and there's a choir of children outside singing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" like a funeral dirge. <laughs> and that that, by the way, is you got off light with Pride of the Yankees if you did. There's quite so much God, "Take yeah. Me Out to the Ball Game" in this movie. Two minutes in, I'm like, I I'm tired of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," but <laughs> it continues. Yep. It you continues know the follow, the follow up bit with Billy though, it doesn't work for me because Garrick is so. I mean, well, Gary Cooper, I guess, is just so awkward in mm. that scene. Yeah. And and that highlights something that's that's kind of my one of my bigger problems with this movie altogether, which is that they portray Lou Gehrig as really, really socially inept. I mean, it's almost excruciating. It's yeah. it's it's almost like he has Asperger's or something. The way he well, acts. it's I think that's sort of Gary Cooper. Um, if yeah. you remember from uh, yep from, another from movie club, <laughs> yeah, an <laughs> earlier yeah. movie that we I watched. like him a lot, but he's a stiff. He is <laughs> yeah, a stiff well. guy, and. <laughs> I like his performance in this movie. I, I'm I'm willing to overlook the fact that when he's young and in his prime, Gary Cooper is the exact wrong person to play it. But yeah. he does a really good job with the older Lou Gehrig. Um, I really think he acts very well in the scene where he realizes that his body isn't responding anymore. And mm-hmm. he manages right. to get a look of panic across his face that I, I just think is so very natural and, and how someone – of his uh, physicality would react in that situation. Right. His the body, scene where he, he his body is betrayed in the yeah. locker room and then yeah. he looks mm-hmm. just kind of absolutely terrified afterwards, yeah. mm-hmm. even yeah. though everybody is playing it off like they didn't see it. That's a great scene. Yes. But to your point, I will concede the fact that whenever he is forced to act with a human being who is not Teresa <laughs> Wright, it, it is like, well, lose, lose 
got a bit of the t- special touch. <laughs> he's a little, uh, especially, little awkward. Especially when he's acting with his, his mother, the scene where she's just yelling at him because uh, he has lied to her about going to, to uh, Harvard. 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 Yeah. Um, Harvard. <laughs> yeah, and he's just, he's got this weirdly detached grin on his face that made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, if he were to take her seriously, she's screaming, I wish I had died because he isn't an engineer. And lady, you are a horrible, horrible yeah. mother. <laughs> well, really, true. really one of history's worst monsters. Yeah, I indeed. can't stress that enough. <laughs> By the way, I was totally unaware that being in a frat was a stepping stone on the road to engineering. Every single engineer I have ever known has done it completely wrong. Well, so so here are the things you didn't know about fraternities back in in Lou Gehrig's time, right? Um, and this goes this speaks to the age problem in this movie, which is uh, I, they show that fraternity, and I think why are there the 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 champions of industry, the these men in suits in the in the fraternity house because they all look like they're thirty <laughs> at least at least. Uh, Gary Cooper is forty one playing the kid at the at the uh, at playing the someone university. twenty years his junior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The girl that he meets uh, is Myra. She that actress is is in her early twenties at least. But so many of those frat boys, there are frat boys in the background who are young looking, but then the main ones all seem like they're forty. I think to make Gary Cooper. Well, they yeah they do that throughout the movie because all the Yankees have receding hairlines. And... Yeah, everybody's just way <laughs> yeah. older than than they should be. But it, it's weird because like a Babe Ruth is playing himself. 20 years what? earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wasn't that fat then. So that, that, that is, that is weird. Um, they, they, I, I do like, they, they have the guy who is the exemplar of classism. Who's like, well, you could let him in, but don't expect me to call him brother, which is sort right. of like, that's, that's, the that's guy his, he decks later, that's his right? hard. Yeah. That's his hard scrabble upbringing that he's not uh, respected as a son of the, the lady who is the, the cook. And also he's the son of, son of immigrants. And he's distracting to me because he looks like one third of Andy Richter. <laughs> But it is nice to see him get his comeuppance. He I does enjoy seeing him tackled. He, he mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. There's a re- and then and then he tells off the Yankees scout who comes to look for him because he's just so mad at that point. <laughs> How'd you like, go through the door through the window? So I, I know. I know. Phil, we talked about how baseball reference is the worst thing ever because you immediately, if you're uh. a baseball nerd like like you and me, you would look up the World Series that they played against the Cardinals, and there there were two, and one of them they won, and one of them they lost. And yep, it did did this happen? And did they hit the home runs? And that's totally not true. I had a few other moments like that, like. Um, when he Wally Pip, Pip has a terrible blinking problem that they have to take him out because he's yeah. seeing double from when he got hit in the head the other day and Gehrig is inserted at that point um, and then is hit in the head by a ball in the same game. This is like weeks or months of time that has been compressed. Lou Gehrig was on the Yankees for a couple of years before he, or at least for a year before he took Wally Pip's spot in the middle of the season, so that's not really... And he played sporadically. And he and it wasn't his first at bat. In this, it's like, Gehrig, get in there. He's like, oh, me? Okay. Like, he's never played before. And I think throughout the movie, they seem to misunderstand the idea that Lou Gehrig, for the consecutive games uh, record, did not have to play every inning. Yeah. So when, when they take him out, it's like, oh my God, it's an amazing moment. Lou Gehrig is coming out. This is the end of the streak. It's like, no, he, he can yeah. come out at any point. It's the next day when he doesn't play that it's the end of the streak. It's very strange. That was weird. And I also thought it was weird for as much as this m- movie praises Lou Gehrig, I felt they could have made a bigger deal about how he was incredibly good at baseball. Yeah. yeah. 
That's true, because I didn't get that impression. He was the best first baseman in the history of the game. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being Still. somebody who knows, I know nothing about baseball. I mean, I know so much nothing about baseball that up until like a year and a half ago, I thought the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn because my only experience with them <laughs> sure. is from movies wow. from the 40s. <laughs> Let me tell you about this thing called the designated hitter rule, Erica. It's uh, really <laughs> going to blow your mind. No, he, he is not only the best first baseman ever, probably by most accounts, but certainly top 20 and maybe top 15 best players of all time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they didn't show that. They just showed him hitting the ball every once in a while. Well, because in this movie, it's a home run hitting contest that they're yeah. playing. Well, the, the elephant in the room here is that um, Gary Cooper, uh, for being uh, a strapping individual, was not a very athletic individual, and he mm. was right-handed and not left-handed, which Lou Gehrig um, was. And so showing him actually trying to perform the sport of baseball (laughs) was not a good thing. That said, he is not, this is not the worst um, portrayal of an an actor trying to portray an athlete in, in certainly a baseball movie. That honor goes to Tony Perkins in uh, the movie Fear Strikes, Fear Strikes Out, Out, where yeah. he plays Jimmy Pearsall. And and it's actually a pretty good movie um, for its time about um, uh, mental illness. Uh, Jimmy Pearsall uh, had to spend actually time in uh, what was in those days known as an asylum because he, he just cracked under pressure. Um, but the scenes where uh, Tony Perkins is forced to do athletic endeavors. You, you, you sit there watching, well, of course he went mad if he, he's running like that. It's just such a weird way for this this movie to be plotted. For a baseball movie, you expect, you know, when the, the whole tangle footy trips on the bats kind of thing happens, you're going to be paid off with a scene of him hitting like a gigantic home run and everybody sure. going, wow, maybe we were wrong about this chump. And that just never happens here. No, he's a chump, basically. And suddenly he has all these <laughs> awards. This, By the way, this movie is montage happy. Oh, yeah. it, it, oh I, well, as somebody yeah. from the 80s, I love. I was like, hey, montages, I understand this. Yep. <laughs> well, the, best thing, the best thing in montage-wise ever, I think, is the scene where at about an hour and 40 minutes in, we get the scrapbook scene where those who might have <laughs> yeah. drifted off at some point during this film get to see the, the things that have transpired. I, I had that moment where I thought, why, why, is she, why, is she, why, why are we spending so much time in the scrapbook? book and then i realized that then at the end of that scene she starts flipping the pages and we move forward in time because that's how that's how you learn miller huggins has died yeah Yeah. we're gonna we're gonna move to his to lose death now so we're we're done with this the rest of this stuff suffice it to say he had a great career one of the best ever and now we'll move on to the end suffice it to say we sure as hell aren't going to show it to you nope i I love (laughs) earlier there's a montage that i enjoy because of the technique involved because it's showing that he played baseball which again (laughs) we could probably have (laughs) wait wait wait, what i think my favorite my favorite of all of the montages i mean it's once again talking about moody's movies from the 40s you get a lot of the sort of montages of of headlines or Mm -hmm. you know the 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 light up names outside of bars if somebody's going on a bender that sort of thing and here i like the fact that they didn't repeat themselves any of the times that they did it so the first time you get headlines the second time you get a bunch of flags the third time you get a lot of jerseys and then at the end it's a scrapbook so i have to give props to the movie for for thinking up new ways to do it every time i I enjoy the jersey montage The, the way the jersey montage worked was stadium jersey of 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 other team crowd shot railroad tracks well i like that because it's cool to see the old stadiums dun 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 dun, as that's playing in the back yeah and and, and of course if it hadn't been so long they wouldn't have had to think of so many different ways to do montages but (laughs) that's that's a man's life well you couldn't really structure this like a regular sports movie because until the very end at no point is he an underdog 
That's right. No, like, it's true. He's on the nineteen twenty seven Yankees and the nineteen thirty eight Yankees. What are you going to do with I, him? I, I feel like they could have taken the Wally Pip story and made that a little bit more, where he's like learning from Pip and he's he's you know pinch hitting and he's going you know back to the minors and coming back up and trying to learn and then he has his moment. But instead, it's like Wally Pip. He, he comes to the team. And he says, "You should watch Wally Pip." And then uh, Wally Pip blinks a lot and says, "I got to come out." And then <laughs> oh, that's me it. head! Oh, it, it could have been oh, like all about Eve, except all about Pip. Because the Wally Pip thing is—I mean—that's a legendary story that the guy is the first baseman for the Yankees for years, and then he one day because he's got this problem because he got hit in the head, he sits down and he never gets his job back because Lou Gehrig takes it because he's that good. But but that that drama is kind of missing here. Other than I mean, it literally is just Gehrig get in there, and the rest is history. So what I'm hearing, Jason, is that you're proposing a wide sargasso sea only told from the perspective of Wally, Wally Pip. Pip. <laughs> Lou Gehrig's not so good. <laughs> How did how did Wally Pip feel about this? Because uh, normally you get your job back when yeah. you stop being injured. He, uh, he, I think he made a bit of a meal of it on the um, on the rubber chicken circuit, mm. telling stories about. Oh yeah, yeah, I had the most expensive headache ever. Yeah, don't be like <laughs> me, yeah, <laughs> fans. Whatever you do, don't admit you have a concussion, kids. <laughs> nope. Exactly. Are we not going to talk about Walter Brennan? Because I really think Walter Brennan <laughs> deserves his own segment. All, all right. Phil's Walter Brennan corner. I love that scene on the beach, which also I was yep. amused by their their use of uh, floating <laughs> devices to demarcate the difference between the sand that was in the studio and the rear projection. Although the best rear projection in the movie, oh, I have to say this, is the when the motorcycles stop the car. Um, oh, yeah. Because oh, like literally, they, yeah. they, it, literally the, they wheel the motorcycles out next to the car with, and then they just turn off the projector. <laughs> and so they coast. <laughs> <laughs> to a stop, but at no point is there any movement or suggestion that anything is, is real there. But anyway, on the beach, I like that Walter Brennan, as you said, pops out and is like, hey, everybody, what are we doing today? It's like a little bit of a third wheel there. And they're like, no, nothing. We're just having a great time being married because our marriage is great. And, and Erica mentioned right. the scene where, where Teresa Wright tricks Walter Brennan to think that, that Lou Gehrig has betrayed her yes. and is, is having an affair when really he's just playing baseball with the neighborhood kids. Yeah. But oh, the rage that flickers across oh. Walter Brennan's face. It's 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 actually disturbing. We can spend way. several minutes watching him build up to his just despite. Oh, Lou Gehrig of all people. Why? I'm going to go get them and I'm going to punch that guy. And, and he's clearly a person who is frightened of silence because that guy does not let five seconds go by without starting up another sentence. Oh, yeah. Doesn't it seem like the press box must have been exhausting? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Between him and the uh, the the other guy who's his nemesis, yeah, Lou Gehrig, not so great, huh, Walter Brennan. <laughs> yeah, is how he talked. But he probably shut up about that after like one season of Lou playing. You would probably, think. yeah. But they kept they, they kept going on. They kept on going. They kept that bit because you had to have drama. You had to have something. Uh, what also floors me about this movie is that it was a uh, 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 co-written. By uh, Herman Mankiewicz, yeah, who, who but a year earlier was co-writing a, a little student film called Citizen Kane. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to that guy? Well, it's nice to know somebody got a career out of yeah, Citizen well, Kane. <laughs> Never it's a bit of a lateral him. move. I, I don't. Here. I don't think this is. I don't think this is a bad movie. I think no, it's just no. You, it's you, not you, a bad movie. You, you, um, it's of its time. It yes. is a whitewash of a a, a figure who has a a few dramatic elements in his life that aren't, I think particularly well told because instead it wants to be a standard, uh, forties kind of 
romance biopic. So you, you spend a lot of time with things that are a lot, I think, less interesting in terms of who Lou Gehrig was as a person and a lot more time with, you know, or, or instead of the time with the stuff that really made him unique. And yeah. it is of its time. I mean, it, it's I, mm-hmm. I felt it was, other than that it felt a little bit long, it felt completely inoffensive to me, but it also didn't ever um, jump out. It, it's, you know, it's a romance uh, with that happens to be about a baseball player. You kind of point out the the reason that I enjoyed it. I I also don't think that this is a super great movie or anything, and I had definitely had some problems with it. But it's very very much of its time, and yeah. like I said, this is yeah. my favorite era of movie making. So just watching a film with sort of these these rhythms and beats and just this style made me feel very comfortable. Uh, while Stephen was getting more and more bored, actually, he was building his Lego baseball stadium uh, appropriately because he couldn't be bothered to sit and watch two hours and eight uh, minutes of it. I thought. I, I, it goes down easy. It is a little bit long, but it's it's pleasant in what it does, especially if you get into the rhythms of this kind of a this kind of era and this kind of yeah, a movie. Yeah, that two hours yeah. and eight minutes passed surprisingly quickly. Yeah. Until I, I sat mean, and thought about it and realized nothing had happened in that time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's pleasant, and you know, I mean, I grew up in a Yankees house, so you know, whenever uh, it showed up on TV, my father would watch over. it. My uh, well, it, I'm innocent. I I'm. You know, I have nothing to do with this. I was absorbed into a Yankee Hostage. House. He was a hostage. We'll, we'll put it that way. And and so, yeah, my father would watch it. My stepbrother would watch it. They can quote it verbatim. I mean, I've seen it. You know, This is actually the first time I've ever seen it without commercials. So it was actually short. And, oh, wow. you know, it, and it always reminded me, you know, the more I watched it and the more I've watched movies from the period, uh, it always reminds me of Night and Day, which is the, the biopic of Cole Porter who similarly, you know, he just sort of fell into everything and had success and was a great songwriter and all that. And then a horse fell on him and broke his legs and that kind of threw off the rest of his life. And so he had one tragic thing. But of course, the movie doesn't tell anything about his life, really. It doesn't tell anything remotely true, but it's got a lot of musical numbers and it's great. And it's the same kind of, you know, oh, he's such a great guy. But did it have Veloz and Yolanda? That's what <laughs> Doing, I Oddly you know, enough, they did a baseball sequence in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's less a movie and more just a giant moving pedestal that he's yes. standing up on. Yes. I think I would have liked this movie more with a worse actor. Because if you're <laughs> yeah, going to make a movie yeah, about how know. great Lou Gehrig is, and you make Gary Cooper do it, there's not a lot. I mean, he is that is Gary Cooperiest. Yeah. I'm trying to think who you would cast if you're making it in 1942. I'm saying make it interesting. Let's throw Cary Grant in there and see what happens when he (laughs) plays that character. I'm just saying make it interesting. As the suave uh, Lou Gehrig. (laughs) At least he'll have some sort of inner life, which I never thought this Lou Gehrig ever did. Mm. And it's it's like that Joe Montana SNL sketch where (laughs) he has no subtext. (laughs) Everything he thinks, he says. He says, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's one other thing that we should say. Uh, Stephen made me do homework for this. Uh, he sent me an article about the myth that they reversed every scene that Gary Cooper was playing <laughs> yeah. left-handed yeah. in, which is totally not the case. There are a couple of, lie. couple of scenes that way. This uh, this article was insanely long and very <laughs> scarily well-researched. Welcome researched. to Baseball Nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know how creepy you guys were. Same as the old nerds. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't even going to bring that up, Erica, because it it, it, it devolves so much into nerdery. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, I read mo- I read okay, I read some of that article, so I feel like I, I skimmed need to large bring it up. portions of it. <laughs> yep, I am certain yeah. there's an article explaining what day each external shot was done in which stadium. Oh, at the various yeah. stadiums. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, they, I mean, a lot of it was shot at Wrigley Field in California. 
yeah. just standing in for all the different fields. Go figure. Right, but they had the they had some nice shots of uh, of stands and yes, uh, interesting. Yeah, it was <laughs> and it probably had just enough of a scoreboard that somebody was able to go to retro sheet and figure out all the details. <laughs> yeah, this was between inning six and seven of the. <laughs> so to sum up, I I, I think this is um, it's a very good example of a a picture that you would make in the nineteen forties that um, I, I forget who said it that goes down easy. Yeah, it, it's yeah, not gonna. Me. Yeah, it's not going to uh, 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 trouble you too much. You're not going to be terribly bored, though you will look back and say, my God, this is two hours. Um, and again, I think the, the, the closing scene packs packs a bit of a punch. So um, it's it's a, it, for what it is, it's a it's a pretty enjoyable flick. Well, yeah, and, and that's what you walk out of the, you know, in theory, you walk out of the theater with is that last punch. And, yeah. you know. What more do you need? Though apparently the studio was totally wanted to ruin that last shot. They want to do a thing where he walks and hugs Teresa Wright, and instead of the, oh, the wow. current shot is just him walking into the shadows, yeah, and that's, he disappears and that's the into movie. the tunnel. And that's perfect. Someone shouts "play ball" in the background. Yeah. It's a terrific scene. Then it's up to you to know that he died a couple of years later and didn't just walk around on a crutch for fifteen years, right? Percent. Yes. Well, they already expected us to know that he was a great baseball player without showing us. So why yeah. not? True. <laughs> Assume that too. Yeah, I like. Although I, I actually thought that the the movie was going to end on the previous shot because there's also a really nice shot where he walks yeah. from the from the mic and he walks toward the dugout and the camera just stays there as and he, he gets walks. smaller and smaller and starts to disappear. And sure. I, I was thinking to myself, wow, that that would actually would be a great last shot that that he just walks into the dugout and is gone and the, and and then instead they cut and I'm like, oh, they cut and then you see what it is, which is that shadowy. Right hallway and he disappears completely into the shadows and they say play which ball. is actually almost the same shot but yeah yeah the dis the dis i had the same uh, same sort of experience i was very disappointed when they cut from that shot from uh, from him walking into the dugout because i was like oh what a great ending and then they did it again i said okay <laughs> well it's still kind of a great ending yeah yeah do, do it twice directed by sam wood who uh directed uh, night at the opera a oh. previous uh, selection for yeah old movie club we've seen so many old movies now it's amazing yeah <laughs> old movies <laughs> but i got a few notes i got to bleed off as is my want uh i have to i have to call out an, a very early scene where young lou is uh is playing in the sandlot mm -hmm. <laughs> he uh there's go there's, ahead the, the, i'll allow it yes the the younger boys the other boys i think they what do they require him to pay uh in baseball cards in pace in baseball cards just to play and uh you know he he uh he sets up in the batter's box and I think there's a single pitch, and he swings, and then roughly half a second <laughs> <Yes>. later, about <laughs> 10 feet behind him, the, the, uh, a ball is clearly shot out of some sort of cannon <laughs> <laughs> and disappears into the middle distance. Yeah. Mm. Was, uh, you know, you would think you could get a kid to actually hit a ball at some you, point. You would think. In the making of this film, but yeah. Uh, speaking of that scene where he hit a ball and broke a window, that's, that's okay, because Sandlot Baseball is played near... Uh, offices Windows. and stores yeah. i but thought it was weird the that factory yeah <laughs> i thought i thought it was weird that the columbia <laughs> athletic director's office also had a window Sorry, facing the baseball window. field yeah. well that's how they can tell who their good prospects are so I, I read some bit of trivia there that said that that was uh, that was one of the bit of apocryphal things <laughs> about this film is that that is not in fact hovering a few feet over the baseball diamond a little bit of artistic window. license there there's a line that uh, that I have to mention because it feels strangely low for this uh, otherwise dramaless film. 
it's what do we have to do? Kill you to get you out of the lineup? Yeah. Oh well. yeah. And I was wondering how that stayed yeah. in the script. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that. I have that line written down with like ten exclamation points. After this. <laughs> it's like really. Wow. wow. For dun dun dun. Right. You want that after that? That's cold. Yeah. Another thing that I found quite disturbing was uh, when they refer to Eleanor's father, Mr. Twitchell, as the hot dog king. When everybody knows that Abe Froman is the hot dog king of Chicago. Sausage king of Chicago. Oh, have you know? Well, sausage is hot (laughs) dog. It's a subtle but very important difference. It's a very important difference. Welcome to Sausage Factory. The the two kings have negotiated for generations to to separate (laughs) their, their empires. Uh, last thing I want to mention is the the goodbye speech, which is generally pretty awesome. Throughout the entirety of it, there's this really grainy process shot of Babe Ruth's face scowling yeah. in the well, bottom left. They cut eventually, but he's there for a long time behind a microphone. Just it's terrifying. Staring, yeah, <laughs> he was a scary guy. Yeah, I, I like Babe Ruth throughout this movie, but that that part is weird. I, I do like him though. I, I just you know that guy was a he was a character, and it comes through that he's a character, even though it's you know old Babe Ruth playing young Babe Ruth. You've had some swell hats, Babe, but this one is tops. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Ugh. <laughs> it's the last and what's straw with eating a hat okay i've watched an awful lot of movies from the 30s and 40s and i've never mm. seen anybody eat a straw hat before is that a thing that's to show that they're just big kids that's the sort of thing actual fraternities would do when they weren't sitting on flagpoles okay right. then or saying terrible things about the poor yeah right <laughs> also known as the same kind of boobs as gary yes <laughs> yep <laughs> yep baseball fans are the same kind of boobs as gary Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. I don't think the final speech is nearly as echoey as everyone acts. I think they may be thinking of the actual the act- speech. No, the, the actual, actual speech yes, is the is. one that's super echoey. The yeah. ac- actual speech has lots of echoes. No, whoever whoever did the sound design for this um, knew there needed to be stadium echo, but wanted it to be audible. So yes. They... <laughs> but there are places where it's not. When, when they show crowd shots, sure. suddenly all you hear is the echo, and you can't actually hear what he's saying in those parts, which I found kind of Those are the unimportant parts. Uh, I like that the um the the cop in Chicago welcomes himself into the mansion, so that oh, uh, oh can, I love he, that scene. That is such a 1940s scene. <laughs> so he can witness the pro- marriage proposal. He just brings well, himself in. You don't in. need me anymore. Oh. Yeah, this movie does not paint a great picture of police work. No. Oh, you're a baseball player. Come on, boys. The law don't apply to you, Lou. Every police car is driving Lou Gehrig to the stadium. Mm-hmm. It was a simpler, more innocent time. It was. It was. Jocks are above the law. That's really the moral of this day. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cops were more corrupt, and we liked it that way. <laughs> I love the uh, in the the panoply of nuanced accents that make up this film. The Irish cop at the beginning is pretty good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He's super super Irish. He is. He is. I would also like to point out that um, that Pop Gehrig uh, has a lovely cameo in Casablanca. Mm. Nice. Oh, I as, enjoyed Pop Gehrig yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, Pop Gehrig is great. Yeah. He stayed out of his horrible wife's way. Yeah. Good work. Pop Gehrig is good. And he does his best to explain that to young Lou at one point. He he makes a complete hash of it. Ma Ma Gehrig is terrible, but Pop Gehrig's okay. He's a right You know, and I spent a lot of this film kind of disappointed because uh, I think you first mentioned this character when we were talking about Nick Vavavoom. Yes. (laughs) Vavavoom. And uh, and so I was expecting this, an accent that would just, you know, shatter my eardrums with its awfulness. And the the accent isn't really the point here, I guess. It's really more the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have, uh, I should have been more straightforward. Yeah, that's all right. That's my fault. 
I'm not going to get no uh, ceremony at Yankee Stadium. That's for damn sure. Uh-oh, some Yahoo seems to have gotten loose on the field and is running around naked. Well, security's going out to capture him. In the meantime, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Incomparable is brought to you by our good friends at MailRoute. Imagine a world without spam or viruses or bounced email clogging your inbox, opening your email, seeing only the legitimate email that you want and need to receive. MailRoute can do that for you every day. It does that for me. Here's how it works. MailRoute is a powerful service that lives in the cloud. You don't have to install any hardware or software. You don't have to maintain anything. All of that happens at MailRoute servers. You point your domain's email addresses, your MX record, to MailRoute servers. MailRoute takes in all the mail that's coming in from the big bad internet, sorts through it, finds the bad stuff, leaves it behind, and passes on to your server only valid messages. So as a desktop user, you will love that your inbox is cleared. There's a simple web interface in order to uh, do things like see what mail is being filtered, set your filtering levels, and even one-click whitelist and deliver messages that were filtered in error, which doesn't happen a lot, but occasionally it happens. Super easy. Email administrators and IT professionals are the ones who really will love MailRoute. There's an API for easy account management. There's support for all of the usual things that you'd expect. LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, that's a good one. Outbound relay, everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. But bottom line is, what MailRoute does is it gets between you and the big bad internet that's trying to send you terrible, terrible mail. You don't see it. Your server doesn't see it. Everybody stays protected. You can start a risk-free trial without even putting down a credit card, so there's no reason not to sign up. You need to change your Amex record, so you need somebody who knows what that is. If you don't know what that is, you need to find a friend who can help you. Uh, And then your mailbox and hardware are completely protected. It all happens in the cloud with the intelligence of MailRoute. There's no reason not to try it. Now, my pals who listen to The Incomparable, uh, you have a special deal, 10% off for the lifetime of your account at MailRoute if you visit MailRoute.net slash Snell now. That's MailRoute.net slash Snell. Thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring The Incomparable. And they're frog marching that guy off the field, so back to the action. Well, let's move ahead uh, 35 years, shall we? Yes, let's jump ahead. (laughs) To a film about as uh, diametrically opposed yeah. to the Lou Gehrig story as one could be and still be a movie. How do you think? I, I, I don't think the, 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 the word scabrous can be used <laughs> enough to describe motion pictures quite the way it would describe the Bad News Bears, which is um, a, um, I just think, a delightful commentary about uh, sport and childhood and how adults ruin everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And yeah. it, I, every time I watch this movie, I think, Oh, the bad news bears, this is, this is going to be okay. And then I watch it and I say, my God, this is a great picture. It is. <laughs> it really is. I consider this maybe one of my top five. This I think. is every time I watch it. I everything it about this movie is so fantastic from the screenplay to the direction, to the acting. It is it, it is so good. Anyhow, I should probably summarize the movie as quickly as possible. There's a very competitive uh, little league team in Southern uh, Little League in Southern California. A uh, do-gooder uh, city councilman sues so that everyone can participate in, and all the uh, cast-offs are thrown into this one team, which is managed by Morris Buttermaker, um, 
who is played by Walter Matthau. And the only reason he's apparently doing the gig is because he's being paid handsomely to do it. He's a washed up uh, minor league baseball player. He's a high functioning alcoholic, although high functioning might be giving him too much, Barely too much credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're introduced to him when he pulls into the little league parking lot at dawn, reaches into the cooler in his backseat, cracks a Budweiser, <laughs> drains off the top couple of ounces and pours in some Jack Daniels. I, I want to back up there because I think that <laughs> is one morning. of the greatest opening shots in the history of motion pictures. You've got this beautiful shot of a Little League team practicing on a field, and it is just this slice of Americana, and they're doing drills, and suddenly this junker car (laughs) pulls in, and it's Walter Matthau with his hangdog expression, (laughs) and he pours out the Budweiser that he's he's grabbed from the cooler in the backseat of his car, even in the 1970s, violating all sorts of open container laws. (laughs) Grabs for the bottle of Jim Beam. The, the the bourbon you choose when you really aren't particular about bourbon pours it into his 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 now empty can of Budweiser and is all yeah that's flavor country no that's a great shot because that sets up the entire uh, approach of this movie. And we kind of know everything we need to know about Buttermaker at that point. I don't think we do yet because we still have – at this point, we've only seen him drink one brand of beer. Yeah. he. The well, fact that see, he's always drinking thing. something different, like he just wanders into the store, grabs whatever's close. What do you got? Rainier? Schlitz? Whatever. Let's go. I'm just drinking beer. Well, the, the obvious explanation for that is he bought whatever was on sale yeah. that week. He I clearly love has, that. He clearly has a favorite brand because there are three places where we see Budweiser. Yeah. But throughout the film, he's drinking Budweiser, Mickey's Big Mouth, Miller High Life, <laughs> Schlitz. Yep. There's, a, there's a scene where he actually puts the beer back before drinking it. We don't get to see what brand that is. Then he's on Pabst Blue Ribbon, Budweiser again, more Budweiser. And then in the championship game, he's drinking Coors. Though in the bottom half of the sixth, he transitions to Lucky Lager. And, and there's actually a point where he's drinking a Lucky in a bottle on the bench, but then he stands up moments later and it's turned into a Coors in the can. <laughs> <laughs> and even in the team photo at the very end, he has a beer. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. And it, it, as if you've ever dealt with an alcoholic, and particularly a poor alcoholic, yeah, <laughs> you you've seen that there's there may be a favorite brand there, but it's very rarely in rotation because the uh, the A and P only has one beer on sale a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every time I watch Bad News Bears, I am surprised because in my head, because of the first time I saw it. It's about kids playing baseball. <laughs> right. And then I watch it and I go, oh, right. This is about Walter Matthau. Right. Well, I, I saw this movie so many times as a kid on TV. And so it came off to me as just, hey, it's a funny baseball movie for kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is so not for kids. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that they, they trimmed it down. They edited it for television and they took out pretty much everything that was, you know, objectionable. potentially objectionable. Says. But there's so much stuff that I never noticed back then. The the fact that they – it completely – I completely missed the fact that they only have a team because some a-hole politician sued in the first place. And he doesn't care enough to manage his son's team. He pays this – Or even show up to the games until until the very end. Well, no one shows up to the games. I think there's a chance all of these kids are orphans. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I never understood why Tatum O'Neill calls him Boilermaker throughout the film, and that that of course makes more sense now. Uh, one of the one of the funny <laughs> things is that everyone calls him by the wrong name. These called yeah, Butterworth. Butterworth is called uh, Butter Crud by Tanner Boyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Tanner's got a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Boilermaker, as you say, and there's there's like a, a bunch of other times where people just totally right. call him the wrong name, and yeah. no no one gives a fuck about uh, poor Boris Buttermaker. <laughs> Perhaps most important that the fact that the team moms and the coaches are so absolutely awful yeah. completely mm. completely went over my head back then. And and oh. how much they clearly hate the intrusion of Buttermaker and this politician on their little baseball fiefdom. Yeah. And that yeah. that all rings so true to yeah. life as anybody who's ever dealt well, with it. Well as a parent now, yeah. Oh. Or just any kind of like parenting situation, right? Yeah. Even the people in the office who have to update the standings are furious that the bears <laughs> even exist. Yes. Well, yeah. one of the one of the objections that um um the the league manager starts complaining about just almost to the point of mania is that now it's an odd number <laughs> yeah. uh, league. Oh, I understand yeah. that complaint. You can't, <laughs> we want everyone to play each weekend, right? And you can't do that with an odd number of teams. Somebody has to have a bye. If we can get an eighth team, we could have a... Ah. That's why everybody hates the... So, so here's my background. I played Little League Baseball in the 70s. And my team was, in fact, where the rejected players went to play. Yes. And we were terrible. In four years of organized baseball, we won two games. That were that one in year three wow. and one in year four. First two years, there were no wins. I, I uh, we we were we were the bad news bears. And in fact, when I was I want to say in first grade, um, the manager who was not a parent but for some reason had volunteered to manage us offered all of the first graders on the team and probably second graders too uh, a pinch of his chewing tobacco. <laughs> um, because that's what baseball players did and I, so I, I watched this movie thinking oh and I, I I don't think I've seen it before or if I have I haven't seen it since it was the edited for television you know many many years ago and I, I, I had that moment of thinking oh my god um, they made a movie about the team that I was on, <laughs> except there was no there was no turnaround where we got good players and at the end to make it to the finals we were just terrible the whole time and um and so that that was one whole layer where I thought, oh, my God, this is I, I totally know this story and I can identify with it. And then as a parent of children who have been in organized sports for a while, I also uh, got to witness all of the things about how in the end, all of the kids just want to play. And the grownups are terrible people who have completely lost perspective on why these sports exist. Um, so I loved it, but I also feel <laughs> like I, I, I've lived both sides of it now in my life. And so it also really kind of touched me that it was um, – I've seen this before. I I never tore off all of my uh, uniform clothes and climbed up a tree, but I thought about doing it. <laughs> so it was a beautiful thing. So I, I should probably con uh, conclude the, the plot of this movie sure, before we, we get into it. Oh, well, right. Yeah. Yeah, we started it. He, he pulls into the parking lot and he's drinking Jim right. Beam. Okay. So, so the scroll. His team is terrible. And Damon Runyon has a scroll at the beginning that <laughs> sure. says, boy, Never what a terrible team this is. Had a team uh, this poor been assembled. Um, and you go through the practices and it's your typical uh, uh, sports movie montage of <laughs> – Poor athletes being poor athletes. They play their first game against the Yankees, who are the best team in the league. And uh, side note here, this is made in 1976. And at the time, it had been 12 years since the Yankees had been any 
any damn good. Uh, the 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 major league Yankees, and yet I still like the fact that they're they're held up as the the, the most awful thing about sports is the Yankees. <laughs> um, so uh, um, they they play against the Yankees. It's such a humiliating loss that Buttermaker actually um, forfeits the game. It's twenty. They don't even get an at bat. No, it's twenty two to nothing at one point, and um, they're about to disband the team. And something in Buttermaker's three sizes too small heart says. Eh, Maybe I should actually go through the motions of of, of teaching them how to play baseball. So uh, I should he, point out that in modern uh, kid baseball, you have a limited number of batters the, per inning. So there's a mercy happen. rule. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. and there's a limited uh, like you can you can only bat around at most levels, and then the inning is over whether you got any outs on that team or not. But precisely because this would happen otherwise all yes. the time, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> So um, he he begins to drill them a little bit more, and they're a little less terrible, though still awful. And so what uh, Buttermaker does at this point is the first person he seeks out is the daughter of a lady he used to date who he taught how to pitch. She's played by Tatum O'Neill. This is her first picture that she made after winning Best Supporting Actress for Paper Moon. Um, she's great. She is fantastic oh, in this movie. <laughs> Just great. IMDb has some of the least surprising trivia ever. Other actresses they considered were Christy McNichol and Jodie Foster. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. <laughs> Basically, the other two. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and apparently Sarah Jessica Parker. But uh, Jodie Foster said, no, I'm going to go make Taxi Driver. Oh, that was a good choice. And um, <laughs> Christy McNichol apparently got the part. And then um, they said, no, let's let, we can get Tatum O'Neill. So, sorry. Tatum O'Neill um, is basically a tomboy who doesn't want to be a tomboy anymore, but she's so good at being a tomboy mm-hmm. and she can throw she can throw a curve that breaks two feet. And um, so she's sucked into the movie, though not before she negotiates with Buttermaker to basically fund her ballet lessons and modeling classes. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's selling star maps. That's a nice detail, too. She's sitting in a, in a lawn chair by the side of the road selling the maps to stars homes when he goes to talk to her. I love that. <laughs> Which, which is another great character introduction. Yeah. Oh. I mean, the movie is full of those. So good. And then the other addition to the team is uh, Kelly Leak, the coolest kid in the school, who is played by the Watchman's Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. My, my wife was physically repelled by Jackie Earl throughout this movie because she knows what she knows what he's going to grow up to become this 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 horror oscar nominee yeah let's not forget he also played freddy krueger he was one of the cutters in breaking away breaking away where he's kind of gross quite frankly he's pretty repellent in this as well i mean there's that they they negotiate the uh the terms of the air hockey game at one point yeah and uh and she she's she specifies that if uh, if she wins the game, that he has to play for their team. And uh, so he says, well, what if you lose? And she says, name it. And there's this grin yeah. that sort of creeps across his oh. face that is the creepiest thing. <laughs> yes. But then it turns out all he wanted was to go to a Rolling Stones concert with her. And she's furious, even though I'm pretty sure the Rolling Stones were a good concert in 1976. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very good concert in 1976. But my favorite part of that, that little negotiation is she goes back to the car after she's lost. And uh, Walter Matthau's, oh, well, how'd it go? And and, and she says, oh, I lost. I have to go to a Rolling Stone concert with, movie with him. And and Matthau is just apoplectic. And oh, if he tries to get fresh with you, do this. And, and she says, who do you think you are, my father? And he says, I'm your goddamn manager. And I, <laughs> that is that is one of the best exchanges in the movie. 
because it it perfectly encapsulates the relationship between those two. Yeah, but it seems like that makes me wonder what Tatum O'Neill's mother thinks of all this. Yeah, well, she absent. dated Mathau for about two years. Yeah, so clearly she doesn't have a lot of. Uh, and now he's back in her daughter's sense. life. Yeah, I, well, she I, was apparently sad when he left them. That broke her heart. So that gives you an idea of the kind of lady <laughs> we're talking about. I, I think a lot of the um, the Walter Mathau Tatum O'Neill reunion was done on the QT, so it's not uh-huh. to alert mom. Uh, because I don't think she would have objected. And later on in the movie, we find out that Tatum O'Neill negotiates that mom should come to the game to watch and maybe go out on a date with Walter Matthau afterwards. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because it it reads almost like they're a divorced couple and that that she is his his daughter. She actually is. And and that's not in the story, but you might as well portray it that way, that he's coming back into her life in order to do this. and, And they have to negotiate the presence of the mother at the last game. And in fact, in the in the remake uh, from 2005, which we may or may not talk about after this, um, uh, oh, she, not. she yeah. actually is his daughter. Uh, um, but uh, um, so anyhow, Kelly Leak, uh, played by uh, the Watchman's Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> no. The question. The, the uh, Rorschach, not the question. Um, oh, I forget. I don't I don't <laughs> comic <laughs> books about any of that. <laughs> Funny books. Um, he's the question. <laughs> Oh, he um, he uh, um, he is not going to join the team, but then he's bullied by the manager of the Yankees and he decides to join the team as an F you to Vic Morrow, Morrow, who has never played a likable character in any movie I've ever seen. Um, Oh, yeah. He's so unlikable in this. It's great. He he, he is the most magnificent of bastards in this. He is every bad parent coaching their kids. uh, sports team of any kind yeah all rolled into one it's amazing and you yeah you hate him so with a, a decent pitcher and a decent player the bears finally start <laughs> winning games and they move up the standings and they somehow wind up into the championship game with the with the aforementioned yankees um and um at the same time walter Matthau becomes less of the easygoing beer swilling uh uh, fun dad that he was and more of the demanding come on you kids this is what you wanted kind of terrible parent and um, it all sort of culminates in the in the championship game where both he and Vic Morrow apparently are having a, a, a dick contest to see who can be the bigger <laughs> one um, and uh, Walter Matthau eventually sees oh god I'm being horrible and uh, just sort of cracks himself a beer and says, hey, kids, I'm going to put in all the terrible players now. And uh, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. And uh, as it turns out, they lose. But there's a there's a wonderful moment at the end where the Yankees give sort of a half half hearted. Well, you guys showed heart and uh, you're OK by us. And Tanner Boyle, who is the scrappy fight seeking shortstop, <laughs> who's a, who's about three foot tall in this movie. He says, you can take your apology and your trophy and 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 shove it up your ass. And uh, and <laughs> it, it is also one of the few uh, children's movies that features a, a full-scale brawl on the field, <laughs> which I, I think is just a wonderful moment That's again in the movie. Folks. That's baseball. Well, because you want to see these kids punched at this point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone is punching. And I should I should mention that in the – just to, to go for full circle on Vic Morrow, uh, his son is the star pitcher on the Yankees. His son wants to strike out um, uh, the fat catcher Engelbert, the worst bear. 
the, the, here. Yeah, Erica knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> By far, <laughs> the most awful. They can't even get him a jersey that fits. No, him. that fits. He's awful, and um, he's given the finger to the pitcher, and the pitcher wants to strike him out, and but uh, the. Dad says, hey, Vic Morrow says, hey, walk this kid. And instead he throws at his head and Vic Morrow in a rage walks out and and smacks the hell smacks out of his, his son. On oh, the my. knocks him down, and, smacks him so hard. And it's silent. Yeah. And and that's a great scene. Yeah, it is. Oh, a, my yeah. God. It is. It is a devastating scene in what has previously been an uproarious comedy <laughs> uh, that that and the scene where um um walter Matthau throws the beer at the head of tatum o'neill when she's suggesting that she, he and his and her mom get back together again right. and he says God, if i wanted to get back together i would have looked you up two years ago and, and that was <laughs> well, there's a, so many scenes here where where Matthau, you know as a reprobate he's he's he gets so angry and he's clearly teetering on the brink of violence and then yeah. he pulls himself back at the last minute. We actually, my wife and I counted how many times uh, Walter Matthau curses at children in this movie. <laughs> and it is, it is in the double digits. It's, yeah, it's yeah. delightful. Yeah. There's a break in the action, fans, so let me tell you about Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just a quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7. It automatically rebalances your portfolio. It's reinvesting dividends and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is also overseen by a team of of investment experts, the same experts who launched the index fund revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all the extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com Snell to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Wellfront Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wellfront Brokerage Corporation. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wellfront.com to read their full disclosure. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the pictures and accounts of this game without the express written consent of Major League Baseball is prohibited. And thank you so much to Wellfront for sponsoring The Incomparable. Well, one of the nice things about this is, is um, that Vic Morrow scene where he where he boils over and and smacks his son on the mound. Um, at this point in the movie, things have gotten you know they go up and down, but it's really like continuing to crank up the bad behavior, especially of the parents, mm-hmm. and 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 you kind of forgive it because it's simmering there. It's like it's bad, and you're like, okay, well these people are bad. It's a commentary on it. They're behaving outrageously, but you know it's still funny, and I'm going to laugh at it, and then. Vic Morrow hits his kid and and that's the moment and then it's silent and that's the moment where you realize not only is this unacceptable but lots of other things that you've kind of let go are also unacceptable leading right. up to this it's a really great moment Right. And there's still a bit of uh, still a bit of crescendo left after oh, that, yeah, yeah. where Matthau, Matthau is continuing to spiral out of control even after seeing this and then he gives his his don't you want to beat those bastards speech <laughs> And then, and then that scene there where we get close-ups of all the incredulous players, totally silent. Yeah. And then you get this lingering shot of Mathau, and you see the the dawning realization of of, of uh, he knows what he's becoming. Yep. Is so damn good. He almost looks like he's going to cry there. 
Yeah. And it's yeah. it's just a, it's a, a heartrending and wonderful moment because that's when he, he realizes he, he needs to pull it back and and, and put uh, in the kids who great. haven't played yet and let them play, even though it means they're going to yep. lose the game. Yeah. Yep. The moral of this movie is that you have to care slightly more about winning than zero. So <laughs> Buttermaker has to learn a little bit at the beginning of the movie, but you should not care a whole lot about winning. You should care, I think, about 30%. Otherwise, you're a monster in either direction. And, of course, the, the, we should point out that the movie ends with, after they've lost Buttermaker, handing out beers to 11-year-olds. <laughs> oh, it's so great. And then the parents are just hoisting their kids around. They clearly don't give a damn that the kids are toting beers. This is probably the first game any of the parents have attended. And the one person to express concern is, oh, there are cameras here. and We don't want this filmed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's the big the concern. That's well, the it's problem. the politician, of course. Yeah. He's the one that's concerned about it. So that one kid's been riding a motorcycle without a helmet the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, I mean, those things weren't done That was the then. nature of the day. As opposed to when the entire team is riding in Buttermaker's car <laughs> without any seatbelts <laughs> as he's drinking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's okay, too. It's worth mentioning that this... That that if there ever was a movie that got growing up seventies just right, oh, yeah. it's totally this oh, one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the from Little League Night at the Pizza Hut, oh, which really yeah. should be a shakies, but you know, close yes. enough. Well, it's whatever you got. You know, the scene in the arcade is great, where there's nothing behind it but pinball because uh-huh. uh, Space Invaders didn't come out yet. Yeah. Also, yeah. also, I enjoy the fact that the Yankees are sponsored by Denny's, and Denny's got its own promotional consideration <laughs> credit in the movie. And I, I, I just imagine the executives at Denny's going, sit watching the screening of this movie, going, "We did not agree to what? be played sponsored <laughs> by sponsored the team of the man who strikes a child." I noticed Chico of Chico's Bail Bonds was smart enough not yeah. to put his name. That, in the that is a beautiful setup. The the you because because it's just natural that these kids have. Denny's on their backs and these kids have Pizza Hut on their backs. And then because because Buttermaker has had to sell his own sponsorships to get the uniforms, Chico's bail bonds on the it's oh, that's a good joke. I don't I don't know if that's the greatest visual joke in the history of movies, but it it, it is the top 10. It, <laughs> it's that's especially great about 10. that is that it's he, he gets the uniforms and hands them out to the kids several scenes before that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they, they, they could have taken the opportunity it. right then to tell that joke, nope. but they wait. And yeah. it's subtle because you don't see even remotely a bit of the back of the uniform, but you don't even think about it because it's just it's played so well. They don't do any of those camera tricks that make it very clear that they're not showing you the back and ooh, what could this be? It just it just comes up later and then you laugh. Yeah, they could just be showing us these kids lined up and ready to go. <laughs> and also, I, I believe they show that during the national anthem as the national anthem yeah. is being yeah. sung. Yep. They, they, mm-hmm. spot, they show all the sponsors of the teams and there's Chico's bail bonds. There's a lot of scenes like that where they're doing the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and Walter it, Matthau is reading the Pledge of Allegiance because he doesn't yeah. know it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you look at modern day baseball where they interrupt games for to play God Bless America and you think, boy, the bad news bears was ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think really makes the Chico's bail bonds joke land is that they do a different joke first because they've told you all of the good colors are taken and that means that the bad news bears end up with yellow, yellow. and white. Yeah. Which is kind of cool if you look at the final game. There are people in the stands wearing yellow and white. Mm-hmm. They've got a fan base. Yeah. But you think because <laughs> they've done the joke, well, see, they got the bad colors. There's not another joke coming. But there is. <laughs> there is. Erica, you are you are uh, you are a '40s movie fan and not a huge baseball fan. What what was your take on uh, the Bad News Bears? I am also not a fan of movies from the '70s, just sort of in general. How I, dare you, know, you, guys... you? It was the greatest <laughs> decade for movies. Oh, 
You guys thought that uh, the Pride of the Yankees was long. I felt like this, this to me, <laughs> even though it's only 102 minutes, felt at least half again as long wow. as Pride of the Yankees. It just, just that style of filmmaking where every, where you get a reaction shot from every single character. In Strong the words from Canada. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't work. There, there are a lot of reaction shots of every single America's kid. reaction shot. Every yeah. Everything kid. just stretches out. It just feels so, so kind of gritty and, and realistic and that is i like the the shiny happy 40s where <laughs> nobody's naturalistic in the remote nobody reacts in the 1940s no. they just accept what happens on screen <laughs> and there's a musical number damn it where is the musical number in bad news bears yeah everyone is gross in 1970s movies. So just true. like everyone in the 1970s <laughs> yeah see true. i don't want that I, I experienced you know a, a part of the 1970s and no thanks i think this whole movie was shot with natural light like, uh, there's a mm. lot of shots like... No, natural light doesn't actually show up in Buttermaker's hand at any point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> that may be the one he puts back. It does look... I, I, it looks... And I'm going to take this based also on what Erica said. I think this movie looks great, but it looks great in the sense that it kind of looks gross. I, I, <laughs> it's it grungy. Is, it, it is, is a grungy film. It is a 70s... I mean, it, he has got that crappy car. You know, the... Oh, you know, it is. It it, it feels very 70s to me, but in a in a nostalgic way, because a lot of movies from the 70s are portraying things that I didn't experience when I was a kid in the 70s. But this this is something I did experience. And it was just like this. The only difference, honestly, is that where I played peewee baseball, um, there was the field didn't even have grass. All we had was dirt. Mm. We practiced on dirt. (laughs) I do want to make it clear, though, that I I recognize all of the things you guys are saying, and I, I understand why people like this film. So I'm, I'm not saying it's terrible. It's just very much not for me. However, I really liked the end. I had never seen it before. I never actually saw this film. So I was expecting when Walter Matthau puts in the, the lousy kids, I was expecting that somehow they were going to pull it out and they were going to win. And I was like, this is terrible. This is teaching the wrong lesson. <laughs> but then they lost. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of on board with this movie now. I I appreciate this. So the right lesson then is when you take second place, throw your pitiful trophy and curse at the other team. <laughs> and have a beer. Yeah, yeah, let, let, me, let, me, let me lay a truth bomb on you. Um, they actually filmed two endings <gasps> to the movie. Oh, and this well, is a, this did the is right a, thing. This is according to both uh, the actors who played Toby and Rudy Stein. They, um, they did it two ways that Kelly Leak is called out at the plate and Kelly Leak is called safe at the plate. And... Uh, the actors, the kids didn't actually know how the movie ended and uh, they tested the films and audiences did not really like the one where the bears win. Mm-hmm. Well, good for them. I-, I dare say that would ruin the entire film. Yeah. Yep. The director, Michael Ritchie, took some of the kids out for dinner before the um, before the premiere and said, hey, so here's how the movie you made actually ends. And they're all, yeah, it makes sense. And um, yeah, and I think, like you all say, it's it's it would not have been a good movie if the Bad News Bears win that game. Yeah, well, if they win, the moral of the movie would be: even a bad team can win if they get enough ringers. Yeah, right, right. right. But that's one of the problems with this movie is the fact that two ringers, one good pitcher and one good hitter, is really not enough to overcome. <laughs> The handicap of the rest of the team. Well, you don't know that because they're so bad in the first game because of the pitching. Yeah. Right. Like Rudy, Rudy Stein is really bringing that team down. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the things I like about the movie is that it honors the baseball side of it where clearly their biggest flaw is their inability 
to pitch. So you bring in a good pitcher, somebody who learned a curveball at nine. So she's definitely going to need elbow surgery at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Shortly after this movie, it looks like. Yeah. Immediately after the last game, in fact. <laughs> Admittedly, they do show that the other kids have learned to hit later yeah. on in the season. Well, yeah, like so. Engelberg can can hit. He, well, and, they could have hit in the first game, just they never got to bat. They did never get to bat. <laughs> and Ahmed uh, can 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 hit yeah. and run. Uh, I do Ahmed's like that so Timmy great. Lupus catches that ball to send it to the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, it's like in WKRP in Cincinnati. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's your that's your big victory moment yeah. right there. That's that's to compensate for you not seeing the team win at the end. You at least yeah. get to see Lupus. Lupus catches a ball. And that that wonderful happy moment where they all run out and celebrate Lupus's catch, probably more violently than they would celebrate actually winning the game. So can I point <laughs> out how fascinating this movie is in the sense that it has all of the co- all of the uh, it's not even code words all of the words that are derogatory <laughs> toward other races. Yeah, and, and yep. the team is remarkably diverse. They're the only diverse team. Yep. You'll notice they every are. other team is, is white boys. They put they put the Mexican kids and the black kid on this team. And it, they've got their share of indistinguishable blonde kids too. They do. There are some, uh, yeah, but and the plus, well, yeah, the but fat only because the, one the, is the politician's kid who, for some reason, couldn't get into another team because they all hate him. They don't. He sucks. Yeah, he's, he's quite one, terrible. One is a booger-eating moron who naturally would not be on another team elsewhere. And and, and, and Ahmad, uh, he he's got a he he's got an Allah moment at one point that's really funny. This is for Allah, and it's going way out there, sucker. That's so great. <laughs> and then he bunts. Yeah. And then he bunts. Yeah, that was misdirection. Yeah. When he was first uh, introduced, and he said, I, I want to play where Hank Aaron played. And in my head, I'm like, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Because my dad actually <laughs> played in the same field, same field that, uh, that Hank Aaron played on. Well, who wouldn't? More generally. Uh... And then he pulls off all of his all of his uniforms when he's he, and he climbs up in a tree, which is great. And Matthew goes and gets him. Hey, this, this is, is me as the baseball nerd that I am. I I actually spent much of Sunday morning um, this week <laughs> thinking about well, who would a child idolize in 1976 if they were uh, if they were 11 years old? And 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 I I thought yeah, probably Hank Aaron, yeah. most likely Reggie Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I felt like Ahmad didn't get a lot of screen time. But his story was picked up and expanded for the character of Willie Mays Hayes in uh, Major <laughs> yeah, League. Because absolutely. he wants to be a power hitter, but really he should be hitting the ball on the ground and running it out. Right. He's yeah. a Lou Brock type. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I also liked uh, the Aguilar kids. Oh, um, yeah. They, they, are, they are great. And, and there, there are several moments where they just say things in Spanish and they kill me. It's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. Well, then Tanner's response when they're, they're talking about Kelly Leak and the kid says something incomprehensible in Spanish. And he says, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> well, but I like him. Well, there's he's also one balls. where it's like it's a di- Diablo or something like that. <laughs> and if IMDb oh is to, believe, to be believed uh, in the trivia section of IMDb, uh, neither of those kids spoke a lick of spanish <laughs> really really yeah no they, they 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 spoke english perfectly then they had to be taught spanish right and and then you got the eddie goodell thing with yeah. with uh with miguel, with miguel. Where, where he's just so small that they can't, they just have to walk him because yeah. you can't pitch to that kid that, that's also really funny. but it's it's funny because then you've got the foul-mouthed kid who is who is uh you know pr- probably repeating from their parents every uh, horrible, awful, awful thing you could say about people yeah, of yeah. other races, um, and they and they almost and they turn that around too. It's like, well, they're all on our team, so it's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> so it's a it's fascinating to me that 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 it is both so just like giving the kids beer at the end. It's stuff that that uh, a movie would not do today, I think, um, and it's and it's uncomfortable and yet um, 
really yeah. the only the only film or, or or creative endeavor that could get away with that is south park and that's because they're animated right mm-hmm. have you guys seen the movie kids by harmony kareem well, okay with yeah. of a of a big hollywood production <laughs> okay studio yeah Some, something else that i don't think a modern movie would do today at least not a, a modern movie like this that's ostensibly a comedy aimed at kids <laughs> is i i think it's one of my favorite things about the movie it's the fact that this at least in large part, is kind of a tale of redemption for Buttermaker. But it's a really minor redemption. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's not realized... really redeemed. He's not, it's not like in League of Their Own, where he, like, stopped drinking and no. flies no, right. No, he's still a drunk. In he's fact, the, the, gonna keep the moment when he, he... Yeah, I mean, he's still sitting in the dugout drinking Coors in that championship yep. game, and then he hands out beers to the kids to drag them, <laughs> well, drag them down, no, too. It's a story of a guy who doesn't care anymore, becoming a guy who, who cares. Yeah. Right. Nothing yeah. else is repaired in him, but he goes from being he is totally disaffected. He's not he's not talking um to uh to uh uh Tatum O'Neill anymore, to Amanda. Um he is just cleaning the pools. He's only doing this gig because he's getting paid by the city councilman or whatever. And then by and 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 he starts to turn where he's like, No, no, we're gonna play anyway. But by the end, he's like he's got the proper perspective about like letting the kids be kids. He's got the perspective that the parents of all the other teams don't have. So he's got right. that. He he cares and he likes those kids. That's his progression. The rest of right. his life is a shambles, but that is a progression for him. And that's a reasonable progression. It's not, you know, a, a modern movie would have him completely turn around and, and do the yeah League of Their Own thing. Yeah, he'd get a new job by the end of the movie. Right, right. Yeah. I will say this for the Bad News Bears, though. It was, it was more a movie about baseball than Pride of the Yankees was. Yeah. That oh, was about absolutely. a baseball yeah, player. So. Uh, Hostel is more a movie about baseball than <laughs> The advantage they had is that this is a movie about bad baseball players for the most part, so they could just have the kids actually do their thing. I, I thought the That's baseball right. was good, too. The, the, yeah. the portrayal of the, the, them playing baseball was, um, was, I thought, fairly accurate. And as I said in a series of tweets to Phil while I was watching it, they had defensive shifts and the kids yeah. studying the, 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 the score sheet and talking about the stats. So Ogilvy. it's a totally, totally Moneyball movie, too. I love Love the defensive shift where they're like the kid gets up there who always hits to left field and and buttermaker's just like go go over there and there's like five kids in the field that was great that was really funny you know weirdly enough considering how i feel about baseball the baseball scenes were actually my favorite part of this movie if they would have trimmed out all the relationship stuff and just left <laughs> in more baseball i think i would have liked it you, you see you've just uh encapsulated my feelings about bull durham which I love the baseball scenes in that movie, and I hate everything uh. else. Oh my goodness! But um, but that's not a movie we saw. No, that's that is not a movie. We, I fell asleep during Bull Durham, honestly, when I saw. Yeah. It. yeah. But I've speaking of Ogilvy, I really like that nobody makes fun of him for knowing everything about baseball. No, it's oh, like no. he's useful yeah. to them yeah. for knowing these things. And he's basically the assistant manager. One of my favorite mm-hmm. shots of the movie is when Amanda has has thrown her curveball. Ogilvy turns to Buttermaker and does this very elaborate handshake like, good job, boss. <laughs> <laughs> he was my favorite by far. Oh, yeah. Ogilvy is the best bear. I turned to Steven and I was like, I like that guy. He is the greatest. I mean, I, I watched when I was little. I saw the sequels, which don't are watch. Are terrible. No, and, they and, don't but exist. I even, there are no I sequels. Even, I even no the Godfather no 3 of Bad News Bears <laughs> movies. No Mathow, no sale, man. I yeah. even watched the TV show version, which, which is, is okay. also, yeah, uh, it's, okay. it's passable as a sitcom. Yeah. And yeah. Ogilvy is the best part of that, too. Yeah. Totally different actor. But nah, Tanner. Tanner gets my butt. Yeah. I love Tanner.
Every line is hilarious. I just like the way Ogilvy is introduced as he's the kind of kid who knows every who knows a baseball player knows that average. Hank Aaron played second base. No one knows Hank Aaron played second base. <laughs> See, to the listening audience, in case you're young, before we had baseball reference, nerds had to memorize a giant hardbound book. Yep. Oh, the baseball, the baseball encyclopedia. encyclopedia. Yeah. Speaking of which, baseball nerds that are nerdier about baseball than me, the story that uh, that Buttermaker tells up in the tree to Ahmad about Hank Aaron having, I guess, a rough season or something. When he was nine years old. Total, total bullcrap, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I sort of assumed that was a fake story because that's kind of the moment where Buttermaker starts to turn around and, and uh, realize that he's, you know, he's he, yeah. he may have some redeeming qualities left to give. Yeah. So I no, that, that it's a true. wonderful moment in the movie, but it's 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 Buttermaker lying through his teeth. Well, it's actually better that it is. I <laughs> yeah. just I, yeah, I didn't yeah. bother to look it up. There, there is a school of thought that says the bad news uh, bears in breaking training, which is the second movie, is uh, passable entertainment. No, I don't no. know, but no. I I disagree with that. I do like. They, they play a game in the Astrodome, which is uh, lovely. And there's the, the moment where all the fans chant, let them play. <laughs> let and, them play. And Tanner yeah. Boyle has his moment in the in the sun, if you like the Tanner Boyle character. But <laughs> no, the, 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 certainly do not watch the Bad News Bears go to Japan. <laughs> when when your marquee stars are Tony Curtis Tony and Regis Curtis. Philbin. Regis yes, Philbin. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, and they go to Japan. My. So. It's in the title. Spoilers. It's in the title. <laughs> yeah. We already called out Vic Morrow for being so superb at being awful uh-huh. in this. But yeah. I think I think Joyce Van Patten deserves almost as much credit. <laughs> yeah, she's mm. terrible. His lady, what is your problem? She is really awful. <laughs> she's related to Mama Gehrig. And I think probably the best scene is where she comes out and presents that pitiful second place oh, trophy yeah. with this smarmy grin on her face. I would like to briefly make a couple quick points. One, Engelberg is not that fat. These days, mm, it's nah. pretty fat. Yeah, 1976. All great movies wow. need a chunk. All great look, movies. For a character whose yeah, only character trait is fat and always eating, I want circus-grade fat. Okay. Well, he's also foul-mouthed. True. That doesn't really stick out much. <laughs> okay, Monty, I'll give you he's no fat boy from Greatest Show on Earth. <laughs> I laughed Thank out loud at the at the scene where they jump over the fence and he, he just bites into the, the candy and I think to myself, did he just eat that with the wrapper? Yeah. And then the yeah. and then the Ogilvy, other kids, the... the great Ogilvy says, <laughs> Could you at least take off the wrapper? <laughs> I kind of like the fact that on this team of rejects, the reject who's that way because he's a geek is probably the least yeah. rejectful of all of them. Yeah. And when they go to the ballet class, he's eating an entire bucket of fried chicken himself. <laughs> but yep. he's nice enough to offer it to one of the random ladies who wants some yeah. chicken. And that is my favorite wow. Tanner yeah. Boyle moment. You've, you've talked yes. about where the, the, the ballet teacher says, I'm trying to teach a class here. Well, you're not doing a very good job of it. No one here can dance for, for bad turds. turds. Yeah. That dance class is really not very good at It job. is bad, no. and, and Tatum O'Neill is not particularly good either. No, she's not. She really should work on her curveball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also want to highlight how wonderful the Joey's revenge scene is, where after he's been slapped to the mound, his response is that uh, Engelbert <laughs> hits one straight back to him, and he just Holds hangs the onto ball. the ball. The comebacker. Kind of throwing it into his mitt. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's and right his to teammates him. are tackling him. Trying to pull the ball out, yeah. Yeah, oh, that, that is a great moment. Engelbert gets the uh, inside-the-park home run. He's still, he's still terrible. He's still the worst bear. But, uh, I think that's going to be scored as defensive indifference. Yeah. <laughs> <It'd be>. Fielder's <laughs> choice. 
something I noticed for the first time watching this time was that uh, in the end credits, there's a section where they list the bears, and there's actually a part that says the bears at the top, and then they have all the kids that, that are on the team and Buttermaker. And Joey Turner actually is included in that grouping. He's considered a member of the Bears, presumably because of his turnaround at the uh, end. Mm. Mm. Also, uh, a, a little a little thing that I love is that on the scoreboard, this league has got nice printed signs for the names of all the teams yeah. that are the six core teams. And in the scoreboard, those those teams are always with their names on the signs. And then handwritten in a scrawl is Bears. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they don't merit a sign. Throughout the season, um, nobody ever said, they might be back next week. Should we? No. Nope. No, uh, they're not going to the, be back. In the final game, people were leaving the stands during the last matter. Yeah. These These are there'll the be pe- traffic or something. These are the, you gotta, you gotta the people. To, you got to get to the Denny's for the celebratory dinner. They're right. parents of the people in the... They're all going to come out and drive everybody home. You can stay for one more batter, guys. But they're going to warm up the AC. Yeah. It's hot out there. It's uh, L.A. It's L.A. Yeah, it's, it's the middle of summer. Yeah. Northern San Fernando Valley. It's yeah. quite awful out there, really. <laughs> no humanity lives in San Fernando Valley. I love that last scene where the camera pulls back and and what we see is on one side, we see the bears all happy and celebrating and pouring beer on each other because they lost. And on the other side, you see the Yankees sort of quietly walking away with their gigantic trophy. It's such a nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also just liked that the White Sox are another team with problems. <laughs> like, it's not that the Bad News Bears are awful and everybody else is perfect. The White Sox oh. couldn't even put together nine kids. Right. Well, some of them had to go to a faith. Some of them. Some of them had the flu. Some of them were at a faith event. Money, you gotta be. Then there's the athletics. The athletics. You know, they're the worst team in the league. Well, second worst. Besides yeah. us. I love. I love <laughs> Sorry, the, well, I forgot. Yeah. the source. The source of this. Uh, the name of this movie is. Uh, it's really kind of sweet. Oh, we're playing the athletics. What does that mean? Bad news for the athletics. That was really sweet. I like one that. A, a lot. One of the things I enjoy again as a as a really. Um, awful baseball geek who should not be having conversations with <laughs> civilized human beings is t- like really determining why they pick the team names Thank that God they, you got us that they, they, pick, <laughs> they pick the team names that they did because the athletics are picked because uh in 1976 hey they recently won three world series in a row and uh the white Sox and the mets are are all teams and yeah and uh, the Yankees, of course, are the Yankees. So why not? But um, but uh, it it just it's one of those things I find fascinating. Just like deciding he he, he should really like Reggie Jackson as opposed to yeah. Hank Aaron. Hank oh, yeah. Aaron was in the last year of his career in nineteen seventy. You may have a problem. This yeah, movie I understands do. that if you want to set up a team to be the bad guys, just call them the Yankees. Just call them the Yankees. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's easy. Enough. But what I like is that they're all modeled on Major League Baseball teams, and then the Bears are not even like. No, they're just they're, given they're this team, and they've got the stupid hat with the bear on it, and it's just it's like yeah. I I love that team photo that's used both in the, in the credits and and earlier in the movie where where Buttermaker's holding his beer and, and Engelbert can't be bothered to button his shirt. <laughs> well, he I, can't button his shirt. He's physically no, incapable of buttoning yeah, exactly. his shirt. <laughs> no. Exactly, such an awful team, and yet uh, endearing. Just amazing. They're scrappy. They are. It's like a whole team of David Ecksteins. Oh, don't <laughs> Except for that. Kelly Leak, who was, claimed he was hitting 841. <laughs> yeah. I would walk him, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. But he's telling that to the, to the like, 40-year-old woman yeah. at the dance class <laughs> yes. who he's trying to impress. Just like in Pride of the Yankees, if you're 
somebody tries to intentionally walk you, you reach for that ball. That's right. <laughs> yep. Intentional walk surface suckers. Good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I like it's it. a really yeah, I loved it actually. I think- yeah, it's it's a really good one. Uh, this has been an excellent edition of the Old Movie Club, I believe, and a fitting for the beginning of the baseball season. It's been a grand slam. Oh, Ooh. wow. Breakfast. It's brought to you by Sponsored Denny's. by Denny's. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Chico's Bail Bonds. When you think of Jenny's, think of a repulsive Little League team. <laughs> I, I, I do, actually. I do. Yeah. Moons over my hammy? Think of getting your kids slapped in front of everyone. <laughs> Denny's for child abuse. So many nice little details in this movie. I like that Chico's Bail Bonds has a logo of the Liberty Bell with a crack in it. And the, the, <laughs> Let freedom ring. The, the motto Let is freedom ring. 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 Uh. <laughs> All right, time to wrap up this edition of the Old Movie Club. Steve Lutz, thanks for being here. Jason, tonight I consider myself the luckiest panelist on the face of this earth. Well put. David Lore, thank you. Play ball. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. wow. I'm going off into the shadows. Yeah. That's okay. what we oh, say at the end of the sure, game, right? It's very poignant. I see. I'm weeping. What you couldn't see, because this is a podcast, is him walking <laughs> up the, the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. That's exactly what you saw. <laughs> and there he goes into the tunnel. Monty Ashley, thank you. I'm going to restrict my Bad News Bears quote to just saying crud, as all the other ones I can think of would probably be edited out. <laughs> Could be. Goodbye, you booger-eating moron. <laughs> <laughs> See, you could have done that, and you didn't. Yeah. Erica Ensign, thank you for being here and watching a movie from the 40s and another movie that was gross. <laughs> and the other movie. Yeah, I'm just going to go back and do some uh, scrapbooking and a jigsaw puzzle at this okay. point, I think. Very nice. Is it going to be a scrapbook I, that tells the story of Lou Gehrig's career? That would I be awesome. <laughs> I re- yes. recommend pressing fresh flowers into your scrapbook, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe you can make a scrapbook about this podcast. You can like have a page about the time we talked about Lou Gehrig. And... No, no, but if she does that, then all of a sudden, by the time she gets to the end, it's the year 2030. Oh, my God. <laughs> True. And one of us will die horribly. Yeah, that's how time passes in movies is scrapbooks. Are you kidding? Scrapbooks are the silent killer. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, don't buy a calendar with a page a day. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's really painful. Well, don't don't put it near a fan where they might blow pages off. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, Philip Michaels, thank you for these selections. These were excellent. We'll have to come back maybe next year, next season, and do a, a, a podcast about all of the other many baseball movies that are out there. But these were two excellent selections, and I, I uh, enjoyed them both, and I absolutely love the Bad News Bears. So thank you for choosing them. Jason, I don't care if I ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> well put. And to everybody out there, happy baseball season. Thanks for listening to The Incomparable. We hope you enjoyed listening to Old Movie Club. We'll be back again with another one at some point if we don't die of old age between now and then. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, that's right, baseball's back. Hello, New York, I'm Bill McNeil. Join us opening day live from Yankee Stadium for all the action. The boys of summer in WNYX, a winning team. 